0: Well, I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3, 1 through 7. We're returning to our study of 1 Peter and going to be finishing that up in the next few weeks. Looking forward to all that the Lord continues to to speak to us about in 1 Peter. Hear now God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry. Showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. May God bless the reading and hearing of his word to us today. Well, I don't know how this struck you this morning. Uh, It certainly would strike a lot of people in our culture today as being backwards and repressive and all kinds of negative things, especially the part to the wives Uh, Many people might be even offended by this, and I know it's true because uh, in doing weddings, uh, I will often have requests to take out the word obey for the woman and the wives part, and uh, and, uh, and I I have several options there that I offer to people. But uh, it's a sensitive subject, and we've already tackled a couple of sensitive subjects in First Peter. And this is along the lines of, of those things. And I think we need to really have a deeper understanding to fully appreciate what Peter is saying here to husbands and wives. Uh, as we look at this this morning and break it down, uh, I think we will see that uh, the attitude that many people have towards what the Bible says to husbands and wives is unfounded, frankly, and, and, uh, and I firmly believe that, and I think you will agree with me, hopefully, at the end. But first, let me say something about authority. Uh, we don't like authority in America, and we, we tend to, to buck authority and, and want to challenge authority. And, you know, we like to think of ourselves as an authority. You know, I mentioned earlier that uh, true Southerners don't get out in weather like this. And and I'm speaking because I am an authority uh, on Southerners, because I am a true Southerner, which consists of those people born south of uh, (laughs) I-10, east of Louisiana. Sorry, Kay. I squeezed in Tallulah there, I guess. And uh, they say north of Gainesville. Uh, Those are the true Southerners. Well, that's, of course, you know, I'm not any kind of authority. Nobody would back me up. But what is an authority when we, when we talk about uh, authorities? Uh, I was looking at uh, an article on authority and the person uh, referenced a book by Kevin Van Hooser, who's a theologian, uh, his book called Authority After Babel. And he says, authority is rightful say-so. Now, God is the ultimate authority in the universe, and he's the the only being who has the right to say so. And everything that he says is right because because he's got the authority to say so, because he's God. And he's given people authority. He, the ultimate authority, has delegated authority to people on earth. He's placed structures in society, authority structures. God has done it this way. He did it in the beginning with the Garden of Eden. This is not just something... They came after the fall, but even in the Garden of Eden, uh, God gave man some authority over creation, over the animals. He named them uh, man and woman, uh, had exercised dominion in the garden there. Uh, If you look at authority and how God has set it up, we have that attitude that authority is uh, not a great thing and that we are a bit suspicious of authority. But when God gives authority, the primary purpose of that authority is that it provides persons with what is needed to help others flourish. So if God puts, for example, we read a few weeks ago about uh, the, you know, submit to the emperor, submit to the king. Well, if a king is a godly king that God has put in place, the, the purpose of having such a ruler is to shepherd the people, to care for the people, to make sure that justice is taken care of and to protect from enemies. God has placed that authority there for those purposes. When the authority, sometimes like we feel about our own government, oversteps those bounds, we think, well, they don't have the authority to do that or to tell me this. And we know that 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 is true in some cases. Well, uh, God has placed uh, authority structures in culture so that culture can flourish so that individuals can flourish in those structures. Now, as we come to this section of 1 Peter, we see that it's set up. It's been a few, well, it's been a good month or six weeks since we've looked at this this uh, 1 Peter passage. If we go back and you, you look at chapter 2 verse 9 it says to the people to whom Peter is writing, and by extension, all believers in Christ. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So verse 11, after that, that wonderful statement about who we are in Christ, verse 11 then starts a series of exhortations. How, how can we live as uh, uh, the, the, the holy nation? How can we live as God's royal priesthood, as the chosen race, as God's possession? How do we get along in this world? Well, he begins to tell us in verse 11. Uh, we are to abstain from you know the, the the desires that typically people fall into, the sinful desires. We are to uh, live as God's people in the world, and He tells us how do we do that in reference to the government. Uh, as I mentioned, you know, we need to uh, honor the emperor and submit to the government. We are uh, in the workplace. How do we how do we do that? He speaks to masters and servants, and it's not necessarily exactly the workplace. But most of these people to whom he was writing were domestic servants, not like the slavery that was in the South during the Civil War. That was sinful. That was involved kidnapping of people. The slaves, as we mentioned about a month or so ago, uh, the slaves in those days, especially these, were domestic servants. They could buy their own freedom. Uh, some of the slaves were professional uh, doctors. They were slave doctors. Uh, and, and they had the opportunity to get out of slavery and uh, it, think of it more like Downton Abbey, you know, upstairs, downstairs, where you had people who were servants, and that was their occupation. So God's telling, how do you get along in those scenarios where, where there's a, an employee distinction, employee employee er, distinction? And then he goes on to, to tell us uh, how do we get along in the home, which is what we're going to look at today as husbands and wives, and then next week we're going to see how do we get along in the church. So he's giving instruction on how you can actually be the, the holy nation, the royal priesthood, uh, the people for God's own possession, and how can you, in those situations, how do you live so that you can proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into light. Now today we're going to look specifically, first of all, at wives, then at husbands, and just break it down as, it's, as, it, uh, as it is written here. But even if you're not a husband or a wife today, and, and there's probably more that aren't husbands or wives here than there are, but even if you aren't, uh, and if you don't even ever intend to be a husband or wife, there's still something here for all of us, and I think you will be encouraged. So don't check out and start thinking about that delicious meal that we're about to, to, to have. Don't think about the elephant in the room, I guess. But let's look at it, and I think you'll be blessed by what's said here because it applies even beyond husbands and wives Now, first of all, let's talk about wives. Uh, First verse, first word says likewise, likewise. And so it's pointing back to something. If you have another translation, it's literally in the same way. In the same way, like we've been saying. And he's referring back to what he's been talking about, what I've just explained. How, How has God set up certain authorities in the world? Uh, he's done it with the government. He's done it in relationships, in in working conditions, and he's also done it in the home. So, likewise, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. Be subject is the word that has been used uh, throughout these this, this passage. Back in a couple of verses in chapter 2, about midpoint, it talks about the, be subject to every human institution, be subject kings to kings and governors, uh, be subjects to your masters. It's the same word that he's using over and over again. It literally means to place yourself under. You know, this one person has the authority and you're placing yourself under that authority. That's the, the basic understanding of what that word Means so wives are to place themselves under the authority of their husbands, to their own husbands. That's important. This is not uh, for you, wives. You're not to submit to every husband that's out there or every man that exists. Only your own husband. That's to whom you are to subject, uh, be sub, be subject. Um, he he gives a, a, a really great reason for it, which is consistent with what he's been saying all along through this this passage. He says, so that even if some of the husbands of your husbands do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Our goodness, our behavior can help people be converted to Christianity. Yes, we need to share the gospel but it's important to practice what you preach. And that's what he's saying to the wives here. Even if, you're, even if your husband is not a believer, uh, don't just nag him and, and berate him and, and, and use your words to try to change him. Live out the Christian life before him, and that will be even more convincing. And that's the argument that he's making. But it's true in, in, in reference to broader society as well, and Peter has already said that. If you go back to verse 12 of chapter 2, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when, you, when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. They may see your good deeds and when Christ returns, they will have been converted and they will glorify God when, when Christ returns. He's saying the exact same thing. And then again in verse 15, he reiterates it uh, there as well. This is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. People have formed wrong opinions about Christianity. By your life, you can show them that they are wrong, that Christianity is something completely different. And of course, uh, the hallmark of Christianity is love to to God and love to our neighbors, two greatest commandments. And if we're living that out, those misconceptions that uh, often people have will be, will be exploded. Now then he says something to the wives uh, that is so true today. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Now the admonition here is not a prohibition of hairdos and jewelry, but it's a prohibition uh, against superficial vanity, uh, uh, which was a real problem in Rome. Um, They, if you look at pictures, uh, you see the statues, the artwork from the period, uh, and even some of the writings, uh, you see that the the Roman women of the day were were, uh, ridiculously extravagant in in their uh, adornment of themselves, especially their hair. They had these elaborate braids. And, and one uh, Roman writer, Juvenal, uh, who wrote some books called The Satires, he writes this, t- speaking of uh, the typical Roman woman, especially one who has uh, some status. The attendants will vote on the dressing of the hair as if a question of a reputation or of life were at stake. You know, how should I fix my hair? They all debate it. So great is the trouble she takes in quest of beauty. With so many tears does she load. Tears being T-I-E-R-S, layers upon layers. With so many tears does she load. With so many continuous stories does she build up on high her head. She is as tall as Andromaca in front. Behind, she is shorter. You would think her another person. So the hair was dyed, uh, just like today. They like blondes. A lot of false hair and blonde wigs were worn. And then there were costly pins, nets of gold, and then, of course, jewelry. And they were really into all of this and spent a lot of time doing it. And that's why Peter is addressing it. It was a temptation for women of the day. And it's not only a problem in, was it a problem in Roman times? It's, of course, the same is true today. Women are constantly being bombarded with worldly ideas relating to beauty and identity, and and you know, the fixation that our culture has is on the outward appearance. How do I look? But God's chief concern, of course, is not your outward beauty, but your inward beauty. And that's not just true of women uh, and wives, but it's true of all of us as well and scriptures bear that out. You remember when Samuel the prophet was going to anoint a new king and Saul had been unfaithful, so he direct God directs Samuel to the house of Jesse. And Jesse has a number of sons and each one comes up and God keeps telling Samuel, "No, this isn't the one. No, this isn't the one. No, this isn't the one." And the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance, you know, one of the young men was a strapping young guy, strong and good looking. Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. That's what Peter saying to the wives and, and that's what scriptures tell us, all of us that we ought to look at the inside and be wor- worried about what's on the inside of ourselves and what's on the outside. Of course, that was Jesus' criticism, the, the, the group that he criticized the most, the Pharisees. He kept telling them, you look good on the outside, but you're like a, a whitewashed tomb. Uh, you're like a coffin that looks good, it's all adorned, but on the inside it's just dead, full of dead man's bones. Or a cup that's clean and beautiful on the outside, but on the inside it's filthy. Paul tells Timothy, "Train yourself for godliness, for while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come." So, guys, you know, maybe we've even made some resolutions to hit the gym, or you know, lose that weight, or to you know, get ourselves back to the, the body we had 20 years ago. Uh, that's all well and good. It's good to be healthy. It's good to to look nice and to dress appropriately but not to the detriment of our character, of our inward person. And that's what Peter's saying to uh, ladies and the scriptures say to all of us. Be more concerned about the inside than the outside. Think about how much time do you spend on your physical appearance. How much time do you spend on your physical appearance? And then think about how much time do I spend... Uh, on my spiritual life, on my spiritual growth. We spend a lot of time in the bathroom every morning getting dolled up and looking good. You know, it takes a long time to look this good. A lot of effort. You should see me before. Uh, but that's our culture. And But do I spend time in God's Word? Do I spend time trying to become a, a man of character or a woman of character? Um, where are our priorities that's the question that's being addressed here and he's saying work on the inside more than on the outside now back to the wives who are being uh particularly specifically exhorted here he says let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit now he's not telling the wives to become milk toast you know just just shut up be quiet and let the man do everything a lot of people read that, and that's what they would get from it. But that's not what he's saying. He's saying, "Look, uh, what ought to be shining through in your character is a, a gentle, or calm, pleasant, friendly uh, attitude towards your husband. Uh, quiet, not in the the sense of keeping your mouth shut, but peaceable, tranquil, uh, still. You know, not upset. You think of the ocean." You know, it's nice to see the the beach out here when it's a beautiful day and the sun is shining and, you know, the water, we hardly have any waves. It's still and slick. You go to other beaches and the waves are crashing and blowing all the time. And the picture of the the water is what we're talking about here. You know, tumultuous. Don't be a tumultuous wife, but seek to to have peace. It doesn't mean you have to sit there and be quiet. It just means don't be a nag. Don't be full of strife. And especially in the case of uh, a wife who has an unbelieving husband, she might be tempted to be that way, to nag her husband. Come to church with me. Come, you know, do this, do that. No, he's saying just live your Christian life out in front of him. And that can change his heart. And it's true for all of us as well. Verse 5, he points back to the holy women before who submitted to their own husbands. Uh, He Talks about Sarah, and then says this interesting statement: "You are her children, Sarah's, and those women who uh, were great examples before. If you do good, good works, which is what he's been telling them, exhorting them to live it out in your in the way that you behave, in your good works, and do not fear anything that is frightening. You know, to put yourself under uh, someone's authority is frightening." Especially if they're not too good at it, at wielding the authority. And what Peter is saying, look, trust God. God has placed these people in authority, or your husband in authority, and trust God. You know, that might be a scary thing for you, but trust God in, in the way that He's set it up. And, and he'll bless that. He'll bless that. That's what he's, that's what he's saying there. Fear God and not man. Submit to God by submitting to your own husband. That's what he's saying there. Well, let's look at the husbands now. Um, not to be left out. Don't want to give us guys short shrift here. Um, husbands, live with your... Well, first of all, likewise. Now, that's an interesting word. Some people might say, well, the women get to submit and the men, you know, they don't. But he says likewise here. Like what? Same as what? Same as the wives, same as the servants, same as the citizens who are submitting to the government. Likewise, same as Christ who laid down his life, same as them, you do this, here is your role in the marriage. Because as Kathy Keller writes, and she and her husband Tim Keller wrote a book on marriage, and this is the last sentence of, of one chapter where she, she says, taking authority properly is just as hard as granting it. You know, to grant someone authority over yourself is difficult. But hu- any husband who has ever tried to, to be a godly uh, authority in his family, to, to, to do what the scriptures tell us, will, will recognize that it is a hard thing to wield authority because you're the captain of the ship. And if the ship goes down, it's your responsibility. It's going to go down, because, and you're going to be held accountable for that. And that's not an easy thing to do. Or to make important decisions for your family when you when you might not know what to do. And this doesn't mean that a husband shouldn't ever consult his wife, or that yeah, you should always consult your wife. We'll get to that in a second. But it means that the ultimate decision is... Is your responsibility. And that's not an easy thing. The primary purpose, remember this, the primary purpose of authority, as I said earlier, is to provide persons with what is needed to help others to flourish, others to flourish. Husbands, you're given authority so that your wife and your children can flourish, not so you can flourish, but for they, so they can flourish. Your flourishing will be when they flourish because you will be doing your job and you will, you will be fulfilling the role that God has given you. So that likewise is important to understand. It is uh, an act of submitting to God just as much as what the wife is called to, to wield authority well. Now he says, uh, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. And in the, the real, original language it says, according to knowledge, according to knowledge. And what he's just saying is, know your wife. Understand your wife. Study your wife. Live with her because, in such a way, that as a result of you having understood who she is, what she wants, what she needs, you have taken the effort to listen, to study, to ask questions. Ask yourself, how well do you know your wife? Do you know what she needs and wants from you? You can't live with your wife in an understanding way if you don't know her. You know, it's, it's shameful for us. <clears throat> I think of that, that movie City Slickers. Uh, Bill, Billy Crystal and the guys go out and they are driving the herd of cattle. You know, they're doing one of these trips, these fun trips where they uh, round up the herd and take it into to the... To the, to the place where the cows are supposed to go. And, and the, in the conversations they have along the way, they're always quoting baseball statistics. And, and these guys have an encyclopedic knowledge of statistics and who played third base for the Pirates in 1958, and they can all reel off the answers. But it would be shameful if, if us husbands cared more about the, the players on our favorite team than we do about our wives. You know, how much do we know about the scores and stats and the, 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 the list of the top ten running backs or whoever it might be? We have taken the time to, to know that, but we have we taken the time to, to listen to and to know our wives and to study our wives? Would your wife say that she feels like you are deeply interested in her and her world? I struggle with this because Sarah tells me all about the school and and I try to patiently listen. It's not easy. <laughs> and she knows that. She tries to curb it for me, but I'm working on that. But I ought to be interested in her work and what she's doing and her world and the problems that she's facing. And So I can encourage her. I can't encourage her if I don't know what's going on. So husbands, understand, live with your wives in an understanding way, according to knowledge. Know your wife. And then he says... Showing honor to the woman. Now that word honor is interesting because it's the same word that's used back up to the emperor. Honor the emperor. Honor your wife. In other words, treat your wife like a queen. Honor her like you would the emperor. Now it goes on to say there, Honor honor the woman as the weaker vessel. Now, that really probably gets the hair on the back of people's necks standing up uh, in our day and time, especially you, you ladies. Um, but it's just referring to physical strength. I mean, that's just true, that men are physically stronger than women, you know, mostly. I'm sure there are some exceptions out there. But that, And that's what it's talking about. You know, husbands are tempted to treat their wives in a harsh or domineering way. Um, you know, you, you can do that physically. You can do that verbally. Um, we're, you know, more aggressive, uh, stereotypically than women are. He's telling us to be gentle, to care for them, uh, to to not use our power uh, against our own wives. And then he says something that for the time would have been revolutionary. You know, uh, study her, honor her, treat her like a queen because they are heirs with you of the grace of life. Now, according to the inheritance laws of the day, women would never get an inheritance. It would, it would only go to the, to the sons. So here, the Bible is actually elevating women and saying, they are heirs with you, the grace of life. Spiritually speaking, you're on the same level. You're both heirs. That wouldn't have been the way people understood inheritance in those days. So that would have been shocking to the world uh, in those days. But yes, if you are believers, you and your wife, uh, you're heirs together, and you're, you're on this journey we sing about, you know, uh, guide me, O thou great Jehovah, on this pilgrim journey that we're on together, we are, we are going to that place where we will inherit the kingdom together, and we will mutually encourage one another as we fulfill our God-given roles. Now, he says a warning that our prayers would be hindered. Um, if we are in living in disobedience, whatever it might be, that would certainly hinder our prayers, and that's the, the gist of what Peter's saying there. By not, by not uh, taking up the authority and leading our wives well and loving them well, that's going to hinder our prayers because we're living in disobedience. Now, just to sum things up here, uh, these things work together. You know, when both parties, husbands and wives, are doing their part as the Bible defines it, it's a beautiful thing. Uh, you know, a a wife might bristle at what's being written here, but if you look at both, what it says to the husband and what it says to the wife, well, you can see how it would work together and how it would not be something, a, a bad thing to place yourself under the husband's authority. Would you have trouble, I would ask you wives, would you have trouble submitting to your husband if he studied you, was truly interested in everything about you would, you, would you have trouble submitting to someone who treated you like a queen? Or if we looked at Paul's exhortations to husbands and wives in Ephesians 5, where husbands are commanded to love their wives as Christ loved the church, you know, laying his very life down for the sake of his people, would you have trouble submitting to a man who was willing to sacrifice everything for you? I don't think so. I think that you would be happy to have someone like that uh, in a place of authority over you. And husbands, uh, you know, we we might want to be selfish and wield our authority only for our own benefit, and that's equally damaging. Uh, if we have a, a wife who respects us and loves us, wouldn't we want to love her in return and use that authority to? to bless her and not curse her. So these things work together. The Bible is not backwards or repressive to women. These exhortations are so that both can flourish as heirs of the grace of life. Now, if your husband or wife is not being obedient in this area, it's not your responsibility to berate them or point it out. That's why Paul Peter is writing these things. He's saying to you, it's your responsibility to make sure you're doing a good job with your part and not theirs. Husbands, you take up your authority well. You be respectable, and the wife won't have any problems respecting you. And, and wives, even if you're, you've are got a dud of a husband, he's not doing his part, continue to respect them and live out your godly life in front of them, and that will encourage them to embrace the, the, the right, embrace Christ and embrace his will for your lives now none of this will be possible without a relationship with Jesus you 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 can't do these things without a relationship with Christ because he's the he's the ultimate emperor he's the ultimate master and he's the ultimate husband for all of us man and woman every everybody single married etc The Bible tells us in Ephesians 5 that the relationship between a husband and a wife is a picture of the relationship Christ has with the church. One writer says that husbands and wives are a living sermon. There are good sermons and there are bad sermons. And uh, hopefully I've preached some good sermons to go along with my bad sermons. But there are good sermons being proclaimed by husbands and wives' relationships and there are bad ones being proclaimed by husbands and wives' relationship. The only way that we can be a, a good sermon is to know, to know what the love of Christ is, to know his husband love towards us, that he, he is the supreme authority and he's laid down his life. He's self-sacrificed to, to make us beautiful. The only way that, that we as husbands can, can, can be all that we should be is to know that love that Christ has shed, that self-sacrificing love so that we can imitate it, so that it would inspire us to, to love in that manner towards our wives. And wives, uh, the only way that you can place yourself under that authority is, is have a clear understanding of the relationship that Christ has with his church and how the church should respond to to Christ, to the one who who laid down his life. How do we respond? We we place ourselves under his authority, and that's true for all of us here today. We are we have been presented with the love of Christ dying for us. Uh, what is our response? He's he's the husband. All of us, men and women, we're the bride or the church. Are we? Hey, I want the love, but I don't want the submission part. We need to place ourselves under the authority of Christ. And when we do that, husbands and wives, we listen to what the Bible says here about how we are to relate to one another. But the most important thing is to know Christ, whether we're married, single, man, or woman. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to reflect on these things, and we pray that... That we would, uh, that we would understand what you're saying to us, and as well, Lord, to take these things to heart, and that it would influence our lives. Lord, we pray that you would help all of us have better character. We pray that we would, you would change us from the inside out. Uh, Lord, we pray that the things that that you say are valuable, we would value. And the things that are not important, Lord, or that are sinful, we would put away. Lord, we pray that you would strengthen our marriages. And and Lord, we pray that most of all, you would strengthen our relationship with you because you are our, our husband. And we pray that we would be a holy bride for you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.